man up here. Um, again, Happy New Year to you guys. <clears throat> I hope you uh, started your new year off um, blessed. Uh, I wrote somebody else that, uh, and they said, you know, hey, even, even if they cast my flesh in the furnace, our God is on the throne, and so therefore, I am blessed. Amen? <clears throat> and so, uh, you, I hope, are looking forward to 2023, uh, as I think all of us do every single year. It's, it's this idea of turning this, this fresh page, this fresh corner. And, and, um, but as we start this year here in, uh, at, at Allegan Bible Church, we're starting this new kind of a mini-series, and so it's going to be two parts. Today is one. Next week will be the second of this. Uh, but, I, but I just want to ask you, uh, as, as you have a copy of God's Word, you can turn to 1 John 4, 7 uh, through 5, 5. That's the text we're going to be in. But, 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 but I want to ask you, in 1788, there was a Scottish poet named Robert Burns. Does anybody know what he has done that still stands today? Okay, that's fine. But I bet you know the song he wrote. It's called Auld Lang Syne. Did anybody sing that? last night, or I guess I should say early this morning? No? Well, you have a chance today. One of you did. Okay, good. Uh, we do this every new year, uh, but I didn't know, and maybe, maybe you don't either, if I were to say to you, Old Lang Syne, it sounds to me like Old Left Sign, you know, Old Sweet Wine. I, I, don't, I don't know. I know it's a different song about a frog, right? But Here's the deal, old Lang Syne, I don't know what that means. Do you know what that means? Well, I'm going to tell you some of the lyrics, right? You know some of them. You, we probably all know the first verse, and then after that, we don't, we don't know much of it. But it goes like this, should old, uh, spelled A-U-L-D, which old, but this is Scottish, so should old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? Should old acquaintance be forgot the days of old Lang Syne? For Auld Lang Syne, my dear, for Auld Lang Syne, we'll drink a cup of kindness yet for the sake of Auld Lang Syne. Now, you know it's a Scottish poem because they're talking about drinking. Uh, you also know it's a Scottish poem because they're here in the text uh, using words that are sort of Englishy, but also sort of not Englishy, right? And so that's also very Scottish, I feel like. But this phrase, Auld Lang Syne, what it means, it literally translated, is old long since, okay? But this basically means days gone by. So in the Scots language, or as the Merriam-Webster would explain, Old Lang Syne, or Auld Lang Syne, means the good old times. So should old acquaintance be forgot, never brought to mind? No, for, for the good old times, my dear, for the good old times. And then they're going to toast. But instead of just saying something, I want to talk about what it means. Right? And so we have these things in our culture and our society. This is one of them for me. What's Auld Lang Syne? I didn't know. I had to look it up. And so I sing it every year with gusto sometimes, and I had no idea what it meant. Well, did you know that Allegan Bible Church has a catchphrase, has a slogan that, that we're supposed to say or we're supposed to know? Do you, do you know what it is? Do you know what it is? It's, it's love acts. And, and so then the question is, do we know what that means? Or is that something we're just saying? So I want 2023 to be a year that we don't just say things, that we actually understand what they mean and we actually put them into practice. So the title of this sermon, uh, this sermon series is, This is a New Year, but the Same Mission. So this, what we're going to talk about is a new year, but this is an old truth. This is a new year, but this is an old mission of the church, and this is the same mission of our church. And so to begin, I ask the question, what is my goal in leading ABC as the under-shepherd of Christ? What is the tagline of ABC, and what does it mean? 
I want it to mean more to you than Auld Lang Syne. I want it to mean more to you than just something you say to one another as you meet one another or something you just tell people when you're out in public. I want it to be something that cuts to your heart. So if you have a copy of God's Word and you found your way to 1 John 4, 7, uh, that's where we'll begin. But before we do, I'm going to pray if you want to pray with me. God, my Father in heaven, I, I ask that you would help us as we look at your text this morning, that you would educate us, uh, that love acts, that love would be more than just something that we use flippantly, but rather we would use it thoughtfully, we would use it rightly, we would use it worshipfully. And God, I pray that uh, today, at the beginning of 2023, throughout this year, you would help us that we might bless your name, that we might bring glory to your name, that here, as for this place, as for Allegan Bible Church, that all those that make up this family of believers would be sold out for you, for your kingdom, for your word, for the gospel of Christ, regardless of the cost, or regardless of what may happen or what may come, and that by that your name would be heralded, that you might be honored and glorified as you are due. And so God, as we look at this text, help us to understand more about this phrase that we say here at Allegan Bible Church, Love Acts. Make it not just a phrase we say, but something we live. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, so as we look at this text, the, the first thing, if you're a note taker, is I want to show you this is a text about a person of love. In fact, the person of love. So if you have a copy of God's Word, you can follow along. I'm going to read it for you, but I encourage you to read uh, silently with me too. Beloved, let us love one another, for this love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So there's two subpoints for this first point. This is the person of love, and the first thing I want you to see is this is the God of love. And to understand that, we have to understand there's a few things that we were brought through and to this God, the first of which is separation. Scripture is very clear. We are born into sin. We are born, believe it or not, I know your sweet, cute, little, smelling good baby is born a sinner, and so were you. So we are born separated from God. 1 John 4, 8 talks about this, but Throughout Scripture, Ephesians 2, 3 says, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying on the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And so we like to have this idea of inclusion. Our world preaches that. Our world preaches to us uh, not only inclusion, but equality or ecumenism or all those different things. I, I can't even tell you all of the soft words that they use to make people feel better about themselves, but the hard words of Scripture, I believe, make soft hearts. That's a quote from Spurgeon. And so what I'm here to tell you is that, unfortunately, we are separated from God by nature. Children of wrath, it says here. Like the rest of mankind, Ephesians 2.12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. I get this illustration in my mind of somebody who's cast out at sea, bobbing along in their life jacket with no sign of any kind of 
land, no boat on the horizon, and they're just left to the elements. Romans 3, 10 through 12, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even when. So we have to understand that this God of love, we are separated from him, we cannot know love apart from God. But the second part of this God of love is that he, in his love, because of his love, because he is the God of love, has given us a sacrifice. 1 John 4, 9, in your text. This love was made manifest among us by sent his Son into the world that we might live through him. And this Son that he sent into the world became a sacrifice on our behalf. And that's this word propitiation becomes there. But you know these texts, 1 John 3.16, not John 3.16, but that's another good 3.16. Or There's a lot of 3.16s in Scripture, by the way, that are really good, and you should memorize them. Uh, but this is another one, 1 John 3.16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Sacrificial love. Now, this could be a whole sermon about the different kinds of love, and I'm sure you've heard sermons about the different kinds of love, and there is different kinds of love in the Greek language, and for that matter, there's different kinds of love in our language, even though we just have the one same word, because I love pizza different than I love my wife, different than I love my mother, different than I love my kids, different than I love, you know, the beach. All those things we can say that we love, and we all understand that we meet different kinds of love by them, or we certainly ought to, or there's going to be a lot of problems, right? Uh, But here, we know love because of this sacrifice. Self-sacrificial love is the definition of the love here. And yes, it's the word agape in the text. Hebrews 7.27, he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. You see, the whole point of God being a God of love is that he loves so much that his love and his justice have to somehow equal out, and they find their equalness in Christ, which brings us to salvation. This God of love brings us to salvation. 1 John 4.10 talks about that. But this person of love then, remember the overarching, this person of love is through, by, and is the God of love who is Jesus the Christ. So Jesus is the person of love. Jesus is the God of love. 1 John 4.10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that, we have, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Now, in just a little bit, I want to define propitiation for you, but before we do that, I want to move you to the text you thought I was probably going to quote, which is John three sixteen through 18, for God so loved the world he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. So here you have the first part of this. The person of love is the God of love, who is also the Christ. But then you have the second part of this, which is the people of love, which should be, And I hope your desire is that that is us, that that is me, that that is you personally, not just us here at Allegan Bible Church, because, beloved, that's not good enough. It has to be, I want that for myself, and you want that for yourself, and that will make the most sense if you can remember this point for next week, which statistically, 80% of what I say you're going to forget, so maybe listen to it a couple times, or be in a small group, and you can discuss it. 
But the people of love, 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. If you want to be of God and know God and abide in God, you must be a person of love. That's why this is so important. Not because I want us to have a whole church full of touchy-feely, you know, emotionally vulnerable, we can cry at the drop of a hat whenever we see a puppy and somebody singing a song about them, right? That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is this is the nature of what it means to be a new creation in Christ. Deuteronomy 14.2, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Now, yes, I'm ripping that out of context. That's to Israel. Good job for being a Berean. But I would argue, does that not apply to his church today? Of course. We are a people who are adopted into his family. We are the Gentiles who he has grafted into this wild olive branch. And so we are a people holy to the Lord. We ought to be a treasured possession Out of any of the other people of the earth, he chose you. And he offers you this kind of love. And the expectation of that is that we would then be a people of love. So often I think it's preached wrongly that it's just, hey, you're okay, I'm okay. Jesus loves you just the way you are, so come on up and accept Jesus and then don't change your life because, hey man, He's a forgiving God, and he loves you. So you do you, I'll do me, and we'll all hang out for eternity. And it's like, okay, if that was really how it was, then there wouldn't be any expectation on us. But that's not the case. He says, pick up your cross and follow me. So the expectation, as we define this love, is agape, right? And so that has to mean something to us. This is based on a sincere appreciation and a high regard for the other. What this means is the preference of the other over the self. Here's another passage you hear at almost every wedding. 1 Corinthians 13, right? Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. Don't you wish as a good brother or sister in Christ that you could remind the couple of this, you know, about a year into their marriage when they now start fighting over who folds the socks right and how the toilet paper is supposed to be actually put on the roll, and, you know, which end you squeeze the toothpaste from, and all of those cool things that we just have learned from our parents, and so that's the right way to do it, and you have to remind your spouse of the right way to do these things. But love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And this text tells us God is love and that we are to love because God so loved us. And so this is the kind of love that we are to practice practice, yes, even for the people on the other political aisle, even for the people of the other, you know, gender issue, even for the people who, whatever. There is no except for that one category. So as we define propitiation, which I told you I was going to do, what that means is, and I'm going to read directly from the text that I used to find these out, okay? So propitiation in the noun form means the appeasing of wrath and gaining of goodwill of an offended person, especially with respect to sacrifices for appeasing angered deities, or the deity, right? To, to propitiate in a verb form 
is to appease an offended party's wrath for some wrongdoing in order to regain goodwill normally accomplished by making a sacrifice to an offended deity, and for our case, the deity. So Jesus, in essence, let me translate that for you, right? If you, if you were having trouble following that, that's okay. Sometimes I have trouble following myself. But this son was to be a propitiation for our sins. He was to be that which then takes the wrath of God and appeases that wrath so that his full amount of justice could, be your, could, could now be lovingly and graciously forgiven so that we could then experience and enter into the fullness of this love. And so what I'm saying is here is the origin of love is God. The test of love is God. We who have been loved so much should ourselves love one another. We who are called by his name ought to love, for we are called by his name, and this is who he is. Luke 7, 47, for he who is forgiven little loves little. When we understand the propitiation of Christ on our behalf, when we understand the depth of our sin before a holy God, then the expression of love is Christ in us. Christ is the person of love. In Christ, you are to be a person and we are to be a people of love, which brings me to the next point, which is this, the practice of love. That's all well and good, but what does this look like? Well, as we continue to go through this, hopefully that will have more legs to you, but uh, the practice of love, I'm going to say, is, is going to be found here in four eleven through 16. You can read along with me if you'd like. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also, must, uh, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So the first part of, oh, so we have come to know and believe that the love of God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So, the subpoint for this of the practice of love is firstly the call of love. 1 John 4:11 Beloved if God so loved us we also ought to love one another. 1 John 4:13 By this we know love if uh, that we abide in him and he in us because he has given up us his spirit. So I want for you to if you will if you've ever washed dishes in your life and I hope that all of you have uh, if not some of you are maybe not old enough to today you can practice that or I'll give you a good illustration of this. All of you have the understanding of the gross uh, kitchen sponge, right? You guys know about the gross k- kitchen sponge? Where like, so it gets dry enough. Maybe this will reveal a little bit too much about my level of dish doing. Maybe I should do more dishes. But there used to be a time when I would do dishes regularly. And from time to time, it would take me longer to do dishes than maybe it should. And so the kitchen sponge is this nasty thing where it gets like, wood. And, and I can take the kitchen sponge and I can actually crack it. I, I mean, I can break it into pieces 
grind it into powder and like sprinkle it into the, the thing, right? Are you familiar with how dry these sponges can, can get? Just go with me with the illustration. Clearly, I don't do dishes enough, but trust me on this. It'll make sense. Let's pull through together. So you got this dry, dry sponge that you can break. I know that you can. When you stick, I know you, I know you can. People are laughing at me like I'm crazy. Y'all need to be around sponges more. Let's do this. You ever seen those teeny little sponges your kids get and they stick them in the water and they're supposedly grow 10 times the size? Those things are like rocks. You can break them in half, okay? The better illustration, we're going to go back with mine. So here's how this works. This, this sponge is so dry. What it needs is moisture. It needs some kind of liquid in it for it to be able to do its job, right? And, and they're amazing, right? Because you can put it in a little bit of water. If there's just a little bit of water, you can stick it in there and, you know, you put the one side and it kind of fills up. You flip it over, you do the other side and that, and that side fills up and you've got this nice wet sponge. And if it's not enough water, the center is still like kind of dry. So you go to squish it out and then you got to do it again. You guys are all familiar with this, right? This is not me who's only lived this. And then after that, then after that, when the sponge is actually moist, when it has some water in it at all, then you can finally use it for its intended purposes, right? The other cool thing about a sponge is you can fill it up so much, you can get it so wet that you can actually transfer water with it. It can absorb so much, and then you bring it over here, and you squish it out, and it comes out, and then you put it back in here, and eventually you can move most, because you're going to lose some on the floor, but you got the sponge. So you're going to get some of this water out of this pail. Trust me, this is going to make sense in just a minute. You ready? I'm going to try to tie it in for you. I apologize. God's love has to permeate us. It can't just be surface level. It has to be absorbed into us, beloved. It has to fill us. Ephesians 5.18 says, be filled with the Spirit. God's love not only has to permeate us, it also has to be perpetuated through us. It has to be experienced enough to the place of fullness where it can be wrung out and delivered somewhere else. And, believe it or not, the scripture says that this love is then perfected in us. And do you know why that is the case? It's not because Christ is lacking anything. No. It's because of God's love, he actually desires to use you for your intended purpose to spread Christ's love out and around to those who have not yet experienced it. And we get the joy, the pleasure, the glory of sharing in Christ's work as his love permeates us and then is perpetuated through us and as we are wrung out for those around us, they get to experience the living water that is Christ. Did I tie that in for you okay? 1 John four twelve. no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God's abide in us and love is perfect in us. No one has ever seen God, but you know what they do see? They see Christians I forget who it was, but somebody had this quote where he said, you, you know, I may not like your Christians, but I like your Christ. May it never be said of us. God forbid that that would be said of us. John fourteen twelve. truly, truly, I say to you. So we're in 1 John. This is another John. 
John 14, 12, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. And so it is the spirit of Christ that calls to us for us to be filled and then used as a spiritual conduit for the living water of Christ that we would finish the work of Christ and therefore perfect the work of Christ through him using us if our identity is in Christ. Which brings me to the confession. So this confession of love, John, 1 John, I'm sorry, 1 John 4, 15 through 16, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love of God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. This confession, this proclamation of the only Son of God who has come and made a propitiation for us is love. That is the message of, that is the essence of love. And so what is the practice of love? The practice of love is being filled with the Spirit, called by the Spirit, obedient to the Spirit, in making an accurate confession of Christ. The truth of this confession is ultimate. The terms of this confession are definite. 1 John 3.18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. John 15.9 and 15.12, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So what this love is, as we practice this, is more than just talk. Because we can talk a good game. I can tell my wife that I love her. But if I never do the dishes, if I never serve her, if I never pursue her, I can tell her that I love her, but if I never bring home flowers, if I never give her a card, if I never go out of my way for her, We all know the saying, talk is cheap. And yet, so many Christians are about the business of saying, hey, love the sinner, hate the sin. But do we love the sinner, though? By the Spirit of Christ, we both make profession of Christ and practice a Christ-like love to one another and to those who are outside of the one another, and which brings me lastly then to the power of love. So the power of love, we're going to cover a, a large-ish section of Scripture here, and there's uh, four sub-points that I want to make sure that we get through. Here's the Word of God. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as He is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. 
Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So here are the uh, subpoints of this power of love. Firstly, love is frank. Love tells the truth. 1 John 4.20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has not seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. I think I may have misspoken there, so I'm going to read that again. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So here's the question. When is love a lie? Love is a lie when we call a lie love. What that means is, hey, the truth hurts. I'm a sinner, and I'm depraved, and I'm doomed to hell without Christ. And I don't want to hear that. And so are you. And when we break the commandments of God, we are only heaping wrath and destruction upon ourselves all the more. And so love is frank because it tells the truth. Love tells you when you have spinach caught in your teeth. Love tells you when you need to go put on a new layer of deodorant or your hair is greasy and you need a shower. But it's also loving when it tells you about our spiritual condition with one another. Love is true when it holds one another accountable. When a brother or sister in Christ lovingly, gently, biblically rebukes another brother or sister in Christ for their good, that's love. And people leave churches over that. Maybe you've left a church over that. 2 Timothy 4.3, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but they'll have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And we are seeing it. People want to hear sermons about how everything is okay. And we have... We have homosexual pastors practicing lesbian pastors. We have drag queens up in churches reading to kids. We have all this kind of crazy stuff. This stuff is crazy. We have people saying things like God is for abortion, that he's pro-choice. This is blasphemy. But the frankness of love is it has to tell the truth. It loves the truth. Do you remember what I read in 1 Corinthians 13? It rejoices at the truth. When we bend the word of God to fit our own passions rather than truth, then, then we're in deep danger. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive in Christ, and by grace we are saved. There is a real problem, and we have to tell people about it. The power of love is truth. The second power of love is fellowship. 
I mean, this church isn't a great example of diversity, but we do have differences in age. We have differences in socioeconomics. We have differences in education, right? I mean, and think of the church universal, right? We have brothers and sisters who are over in Africa, who are over in South America, who are over in, I don't know, do people live in Antarctica? What I'm saying is, is that the church of Christ universal is extremely diverse. In Revelations, he talks about every tongue will sing his praises. Every single nation is going to be around his throne. And even in our limited fellowship here, there are some of you that because of our age, we don't have that much in common. But you know what we do have in common? Jesus. And so that's enough. We get along. We hang out. We have fun together because of Jesus. And quite frankly, this is honest, if I didn't know Jesus, none of you would want to be my friend, and I would not be married to Elisa, because she wouldn't want me either. We have fellowship because of Christ. We love because he first loved us, and this commandment we have from him, that whoever loves God must also love his brother. So we were a people created for relationships. Look back at Genesis. It wasn't good for man to be alone then. It's not good now. And so he created a helpmate. And so the two became one. They were now a union. They were an illustration physically of what was already taking place in the heavens. The triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit were together. And then there was the triune humanity, Two people together and a relationship with God. That's what makes marriage work. That's what makes friendship work. That's what makes families work. Love brings fellowship. It brings fellowship with God as well as with man. There's no Jew nor Greek, circumcised or barbarian or slave or free in Christ. We are all. Which brings us to the next point, the fearlessness of love. I don't have to be scared to go into some other country especially when I know I'm about to go to that other country and visit other brothers and sisters in Christ. Perfect love, cast out fear. I should have no fear in allowing anyone in this room to know the deepest, secretest parts of my soul. And if there's anything scary, it's that. And that's not meant to be a joke. I'm just saying you should all have felt the physical, the, the internal recoil of that. You know why? Because we're all sinners. We've all got stuff where we're like, please don't play that on a movie screen for everybody to see. Please. But perfect love cast out that fear. Because you can look at me and the darkest parts of my heart and you can say, yeah, that's twisted, but you know what? We're saved by Christ. He's a new creation in Christ. Praise the Lord that one day that'll be left in the grave and the rest of him will be resurrected. Yeah, that's a good spot for that. Fearlessness in the life to come. No longer is there judgment. It doesn't matter what the government throws at us. Let them take me to prison. Let them burn me at the stake in effigy. Or in reality, I guess effigy is a dummy. It's not far from reality. (laughs) But my point is fearlessness in this. We can accept persecution from the world because we know where our life is going. How about this fearlessness in sharing the gospel, beloved? Fearlessness in sharing, even if you're going to be rejected, do you know why? Because they're not rejecting you. Really has nothing to do with you. Stop being so narcissistic and just give them the gospel. Or how about the power of love is the faith of love? 
which is really its true power. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. You know, we bring nothing to God. If it wasn't for his love, we would be doomed. It is the only thing on which we can rest, our faith. And here's the thing, here's the crazy thing about this. It's not even our faith. It's his faith that he gave to us, he imputed to us. He causes us to have faith in his love. And the faith we have in his love is what secures us. We literally, literally could not bring anything less to the table when it comes to the Lord. But everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. And the victory that we have is our faith. Because God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we have been saved. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For great is his steadfast love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord, he says. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The fullness of the perfected power of Christ in us is both internally and externally experienced as we fearlessly embrace this gospel identity by faith. So this might be a new year, but this is the same mission. This is the same mission since Pentecost. We're just at a different time, at different people, with different technology, different clothes. And so I want to close by asking this. Do you know this gospel? Can you articulate this gospel? Do you believe this gospel? Are you living this gospel? Are you seeking to share this gospel? Because in 1788, the Scottish poet, Robert Burns, who none of us can remember, wrote a song that all of us know, but none of us know. Because he's got words to it that none of us, maybe most of us, really didn't understand. We don't even know the whole song. Like I said, we know like maybe the first couple verses, and then after that, it's, it's a blur. I do not want that to be the case with Love Acts here in Allegan Bible Church. So, I've taken some liberty. That song, Old Lang Syne, which I know you know the tune to, I rewrote some lyrics. I'm going to play that song. I'm not going to sing. I thought about it earlier. I'm just going to play it. And I'm going to invite you to read it to the tune, because I know you know the tune. And then I'll close us in prayer.
John 13, 34 through 35 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. To know God is to love his gospel. To love our neighbor is to share his gospel. It might be a new year, but it's the same mission. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we ask that you would help us to love better, that you would help us to love wider, help us to love deeper. God, we ask that you would help us to understand what it means to love in a fuller sense this year, that we would practice love in a fuller sense this year, that you would be honored and glorified by us in how we fulfill this new year with the same mission that you've given by Christ to your disciples, your apostles. This is not a new commandment anymore. Help us to fulfill it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So I want to invite you... um,